I do want to mention that there's a little testimony track I have. Uh, I've put some out in the foyer on the little table. If they run out, there are some more. And there are plenty more available where these came from. I also have a few with me in Spanish. And uh, hopefully soon, uh, there's someone working on doing a translation in Creole, which may not mean much to you folks, but there's a lot of places we go where there are Haitian populations, so um, it'd be nice to have that as well. And um, one of the great, well, I don't know, blessing or curse, but you'll get to see a picture of me in here, uh, inside, after, remember, after I got my hair cut. So, that's the key. Um, I often offer this to different folks in different places where I travel, and particularly the ladies, when I say, you know, there's a picture of me in here I'd like you to see after I got my hair cut. Oh, so I've never had anybody refuse one when I give them that line. So you help yourself to one. Great little company. Many of you may be familiar, or some of you may be familiar with the company, uh, an outfit known as Moments with a Book out of Pennsylvania. And they started something a few years ago called Print My Track. So if you have a testimony, you're saved, you have a testimony or something you'd like to put in, you know, in a form that you can give to other people to tell them your story, you submit it to them if they approve of it, you know, doctrinally and whatnot. Uh, they have a small setup fee, and then it's print-on-demand. So you don't have to have like 20,000 of them done. You just you can get 10, 15, 20, 100,000, whatever you want. So it's a great opportunity as well. It's always nice to tell your own story, isn't it? It's good to show, tell other people's stories, but nothing like your own story, is there? And it'll be a challenge to you to try to get your story down into a little, you know, couple hundred word format. That's a real challenge, but it's a good, it's a good thing to do. If you've never written out your testimony, if you're a believer in Christ, um, you know, maybe you take that as a challenge to do because it's, it's not easy to really get to the essence of it, right? And cut out a lot of the peripheral stuff like I'm doing now with peripheral stuff, you see. But print my track. You can printmytrack.com. The track company is called Moments with the Book. You can find it under either one of those. And it's a very informative website to tell you how to go about it. And I've uh, actually had several already spinoffs of this, of me giving them this, that have gone and had their testimony uh, done. So, um, and like I say, it's not expensive because you don't have to have a certain amount of them printed. You can just print as many as you want or as few as you want. And uh, so give it a look. PrintMyTrack.com Well, this morning we're going to be back in the book of Galatians, as mentioned. And, um, ah, <laughs> actually worked. We're going to turn to chapter 2. Now, I was talking with somebody, I believe they were from Bristol last night, and we just got in conversation about spiritual growth. And uh, we made a few observations that Whenever you come to something like this, obviously we have three messages this morning. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of material in a very short period of time. A lot coming at you, you know. I find myself that whenever I've been to conferences like this, it is a help to get materials that are available, you know, afterwards and go over it again and again and again and again in my own mind. I have to do that. I just can't take it all in. But the other thing to remember is sometimes people get the idea, I'm not going to remember everything that's said, I don't have good retention, etc., etc., etc. You're not going to remember everything that's said. But the Lord can take something that's said, or some things that are said, and cement those into your thinking and in your hearing. And the general exposure to spiritual things 
has a value that isn't always seen immediately. But it's a process of growth. Growth is a process. And the more we expose ourselves to spiritual things like this, and the benefit of the Word of God and so on, uh, the greater benefit it will be to us in our, in our lives as believers. So let's look into Galatians in chapter 2. And I want to begin by reading at verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let me pause there for just a moment because it would be easy in the reading of this text to think, well, you know, I'm not trying to be justified by the works of the law. I don't go around trying to keep the Mosaic law. But as we'll see from this chapter and the following chapter in the next message, uh, it's not just the law of Moses. He's specifically talking about that in the context, but it's the principle of law. It's the principle of law-keeping, or of doing good works, or of doing something to try to achieve some kind of favor in the sight of God. So don't think that it doesn't have relevance to us who are not Jewish people trying to keep the law of Moses. It still has application. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He died needlessly. If I can be saved any other way, then he died needlessly by law, good works, or anything else. Very powerful verse found here in the book of Galatians. So let's break this down a little bit, or at least attempt to. Remember that I said, if you were with us yesterday evening, that there are two things at a very basic level we come to in the book of Galatians. Number one, how can I be right in the sight of God? And number two, how can I live right as a believer in Christ? The book of Galatians will answer those two questions. And as you probe into the book of Galatians, you'll find that it'll answer it by saying, salvation is not attained by keeping the law. It is not acquired by doing good works. And then, just as importantly as we'll get to as we move along, sanctification or the process of growth for a believer in Christ, it's not achieved by keeping the law either. And that's a very crucial thing when we come to the book of Galatians. Very crucial. Uh, while many people get the first one, uh, I, I feel like in general Christian population, often the second one is missed. They'll... they'll They'll shout it loud and clear that salvation is not acquired by keeping the law, but when it comes to sanctification, well, you see, there they're not so 
loud and, and vociferous as they are on the first. So we want to see that as well. I call this section, particularly a couple of the verses that we'll get to in just a moment, the key to the Christian life. And by key, I don't mean there's some little gimmick or something, but I mean there are principles that are here that really are the, the, the heart and the essence of, of, the, of the Christian life and what it means to live it. And we'll look at those as we, as we move along. I want to look first, though, at what he precedes these following verses with, and that's what's found in verses 17 and 18, which in some ways is a little tricky to get at, but let's think through what Paul is saying here. When he says, if we seek to be justified by Christ, um, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Remember that I said last night that He'll start in verse 15 by saying, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, that's almost uh, redundant because to them sinner and Gentile was equivalent, you see. But he's making a point here as he's just uh, told us about this historical event where he stood and rebuked Peter to the face for his actions that were a denial of the gospel when he refused to withdrew himself from eating with Gentiles and therefore... uh, by his actions said they're unclean. And so he says now, we who are Jews by nature, we're not sinners of the Gentiles. At that point, every Jew and within sight or sound of his uh, saying that would, of course, been, amen, preach it, brother, you know. We're not sinners like those Gentiles. They're sinners, you see. However, the argument, see, is that uh, as he talks about we Jews, so when we think about in verse 17, the we there being Jews, you could paraphrase it like this. If we Jews, in seeking to be justified by faith in Christ, take our place as mere sinners like the Gentiles, is it therefore Christ who makes us sinners? Is Christ the minister of sin? And so the argument is sort of like this. Wait a minute, Paul. You're saying, if they got hold of what Paul was saying, and it wouldn't have been hard to do often with Paul preaching, you're saying that in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be righteous before God, we have to take the place of sinners just like Gentiles. (laughs) Well, then is Christ making us sinners then? God forbid. That's a startling thing to a lot of folks. Reminds me of a story, it's a little bit antiquated because of, of the details, but it, the story is told of a, of, a, of a preacher who went to speak to a, a lady of title over in Europe, you see, and as he begins to communicate to her the gospel, all of a sudden she starts getting it, and she says, wait a minute, wait a minute, are you saying that I have to come just like the butler? <laughs> she got it, didn't she? You know, sometimes we say the ground is level at the foot of the cross, you see, because it doesn't matter who you are or what you've attained to in life and so on. Basic scripture that we teach even the young ones, don't we? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that doesn't mean you've missed some bright shining apparition being the glory of God. What that verse means is that we have missed the mark of the only standard that God can measure by, which is His own perfection. When you realize that the standard, the only standard a holy God can use is His own perfection, we've all missed it. None of us have attained that, you see. 
And so the Jews, however, thought they had an edge. In many ways, they did have an edge. They had many advantages. But when it came to their standing before God, as Paul is saying, um, you have to take the place just like a Gentile. And to that, they, they balked at that point. It isn't Christ. By no means, Paul says. It's by putting ourselves again under the law, after seeking justification through Christ, now we're acting like unjustified sinners. Because we're seeking to become righteous through law works. Now that's a lot to digest, but when you think about it, it's a really powerful statement that, that he's saying here. If we seek to be justified by Christ, and we find ourselves as sinners, Christ is not the minister of sin, but if I build again the things which I destroyed, that is, if I seek to now be justified by keeping the law, well, I'm acting like I'm an unjustified sinner. You see, building again the things that I destroyed. As far as the law is concerned, I'm dead. What hold does the law have over a dead person? You see, it's the argument of Romans, isn't it? It's the argument of Galatians. The law no longer has dominion over you. Why? Because you died, you see? And if you died, well, the law no longer has dominion over you. It's a very powerful truth to get hold of. I was killed by the law itself. It demanded my death in order that I might live for God. I have been put to death with Christ on His cross. And isn't that what we say in believer's baptism? That we've been put to death? We go down into an element that's not natural to human, human beings. Water, that is a symbol of death. It is death. You hold them down long enough, you'll find out. <laughs> that water is not your natural element. It's death. But you don't stay there, do you? You're raised by the power of another. You know, to go forth in newness of life. It's a powerful symbol. Water baptism is of the reality of salvation. And so the law put me to death. I've been put to death with Christ on His cross. So it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Do you ever put, you put songs to music, don't you? You ever sing this song? You do? Yeah. You sing it sometimes maybe with Colossians 3. If you then be risen with Christ. And you can do this one too. Greg will do it for us later, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it's a great verse, isn't it? Crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. We're going to look at that a little bit more. So what Paul discovered, and this is why this is the very heart of this gospel that he preached, it is not dependent on a human being's efforts to try to draw near to God. The frustration of religion, of people who often are sincere, who want to draw near to God. Really, isn't that the essence of all religion? Uh, it's trying somehow to gain favor in the sight of God, or to draw near to God, or to know God. It's man's, humanity's efforts to try to somehow get close to God. There is a cry of the human heart that wants that often, you see. But what a frustration it is to try to do it by our own efforts. And Paul learned, it's not by my own efforts. This life is a person living his life through me. You know, when you get saved, you realize that the essence of the Christian life is, 
It's just that. It's a life. It's not religion in that sense, is it? And I know it sounds perhaps trite, perhaps quaint to say it, perhaps repetitive, but it's so true. It's not religion. It's a relationship. And a relationship, whether it's a marital relationship or a relationship of uh, fiancés, you see, or anything of that nature, it has to be nurtured, doesn't it? Developed, grows, and becomes more intimate. And that's the Christian life. It begins, though, with Christ living in me and then living his life out through me. So important. And instead of rules and legal penalties like the law, it's the power of the indwelling Spirit who energizes us to be able to live that life that pleases God. It's no longer a sinner trying to gain acceptance by outward obedience, but it's a saint pleasing God as Christ lives His life through us. Now, I find that it helps me And I'm sure John, if no one else, would give a hearty amen to this because I'm a very simple kind of person. I like things to be broken down simply that I can get hold of. So we've had a lot of material thus far, but I'm going to give you something that that even I I think I can get hold of most of the time because it's very basic. And yet, you know, things that are very basic um, can be very profound, can't they? Now, our brother here works with metal. And he takes big pieces of metal and makes little tiny pieces of metal out of them, you see. Well, fairly tiny. Staples can be a fairly tiny thing. But the staple. Don't you wish you had a patent on the staple? I wish I had a patent on the zipper. You know, with all the modern inventions, Velcro and everything else, we still use zippers, don't we? My first trip, this is a different little aside here, so bear with me, but it'll help you to stay awake a little bit maybe. My first trip to the Bahama Islands many years ago, was not as a true missionary or preacher. Uh, no, it was much less spiritually oriented than that. We went fishing, you know. And on a good day from... We- Amen. Uh, I take the words of the Lord seriously. Peter, I go fishing. Yes, there's my verse, you see. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, we went over on a boat from West Palm Beach, four of us, uh, and out of, Ju- out of uh, Palm Beach Inlet there. On a good day, On a good day, meaning you don't have high seas. You can be at the west end of Grand Bahamas in a good boat in, you know, three, four hours. You know, so it's very doable. You can do a day trip there on a good day. You know, that's assuming the part that's hard is you can go over and the day's really good and then it get really bad and you're trying to get back, so it gets rough. Anyway, we land on a little island in the northern part, actually the Abaco chain, Walker's Key. And uh, Walker's Key was a very famous fishing island supposedly the man who owned Walker's Key at the time had the patent on the spray nozzle. Something as small as that. Now, I'm just saying that because things seem very simple, a safety pin, they can still be very effective, even if they're very simple, you see. And so, profound things, very simply put. I'm going to give you the key to the Christian life in just four words. But I'm going to tell you before I do, When I give you these four words, they may sound simple, but if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's who I'm addressing this to now, those that are saved, you will spend the rest of your life trying to live out the reality of what these words are. Not only that, it will be the very tension that you face in your daily experience. 
to come to grips with what these four words present to us in the truth of the Christian life. And those four words are found in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Not I, but Christ. Now there's the key to your Christian life. Isn't that easy? <laughs> no, it's not easy. <laughs> the difference between simple and easy. There's a difference between basic and easy. It is a challenge, isn't it? To live every day of my life in such a way. Not I, but Christ. If you're married, to live in your marriage in such a way. Not I, but Christ. I'm going to speak to the men because I am one. <laughs> I did go through a period when I was doing those treatments. First time I stayed with Brian and Aaron, I was still doing those medical treatments. I was very sick. You worked me like a dog. Told you I was sick. You told you to take it easy on me. You didn't, you know, and it was just, it was great, but at the same time, I was really sick going through those treatments. And one of the unique things of the treatments I took for the, for the disease that I had was that um, I, I, don't, I don't have a feminine t- side to get in touch with, but um, I, I was reminded that much of what I experienced was much like a woman who goes through certain phases of life, let's say, okay? So I, I can probably relate to women a lot better than some men can in that sense. I've gone through those mood swings and... and my wife uh, doesn't call them hot flashes, she calls them hot lingers, you know. So, uh, I know a little bit of something about that stuff. But anyway, having said that, why did I say that? Oh yeah, I want to, sp- <laughs> I want to speak to the men, okay. And men, it's very basic to us, this problem, you see. We, we're just selfish people most of the time. And a lot of problems that happen in our relationships with our marriages, that's, that's the essence of it, you see. And we want what pleases us, and we want what, you know, suits our needs, and all the rest. And, you know, then you look at this, not I, but Christ. Greg mentioned in his prayer, I think it was in his prayer this morning, as he was praying about Christ who humbled himself. That his, we sing how great is our God. The greatest one of all became the servant of all. And he humbled himself, took upon him not just humanity, but the very form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. We can't even begin to comprehend it. And his greatness is part, in fact, because of the low stoop that he took, you see. He said it to his own disciples, didn't he? The greatest of you, the greatest of you is the one who becomes the servant of all. Son of man came not to be served but to serve, not to be ministered to, but to minister. It's a challenge, isn't it, to our own lives. So the key, not I but Christ. Matter of fact, not a bad idea, I think. Not that I'm into formulas and things, but as we begin our day, as you wake out of your slumber, uh, perhaps you can't do it in a pre-caffeinated state, but uh, whenever you come to your conscious thinking, To say, Lord, help me to live this day in such a way that it's not I, but Christ. And then you go throughout your day seeking to do that very thing. There's three concepts that are involved with this. I'm going to give them here quickly, then I'll go back over them a little slower for you that are taking notes. Three concepts that I find that are involved with this principle. Number one, we have to recognize His claims. Number two, 
I have to relinquish my rights. And number three, I have to rely on his power. First of all, I have to recognize his claims. You see, the Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. God has a claim on my life. God has a claim on your life. (laughs) The Lord uses a lot of things to encourage me along the way. I, I know he knows I need it. He knows how weak I am and how, uh, how much I need that kind of thing. I got a phone call a couple years ago from a, a young lady, younger than me, so that makes her young. Um, I hadn't heard from her in over 20 years. And as soon as the phone rang, and I picked up, you know, I answered the call, and she asked if it was me, and I said, is this Nona? And she says, how do you know? Because when Nona calls, she says, is this Larry Price? <laughs> and I said, Nona? She said, yes. How did you know it was me? <laughs> now, you think everybody down our way talks like that, but Nona had that distinct voice. And I hadn't heard from her over 20 years. We talked. And as we ended our conversation, she had some questions. And uh, she said, you know, I still remember to this day you standing in that little chapel and you saying, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And I thought, man, Lord, you know, how many messages you preach and, you know, where's it going? And here, 20-something years later, this young lady remembers something out of a message that I spoke. And what she remembered was that part when I said, what that verse in Corinthians said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. We have to come to grips with that. With that, I want to turn there very briefly and turn back to the book of Galatians because I want to get back in there in chapter 2. But I want you to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I won't spend a lot of time there. You should mark this verse, I, I suggest, and think about it. It's found in verse 14 of chapter 5, and it says in the translation I'm reading, For the love of Christ constraineth us, Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now this is a powerful truth, but I want you to note a couple of things about it. First of all, it was a decision that Paul had to come to. Notice the word that I used here in verse 14. We thus judge. It required a judgment on his part, an evaluation on his part. And what was the evaluation? He doesn't tell us when he came to this. But at some point in his experience, he came to this conclusion, if you will. And I call it the logic of Calvary. And the logic of Calvary was this. That if one died for all, well then we were all as good as dead. And the only reason we have life at all is because one died for us. And he died for us. That we would no longer live unto ourselves, but unto Him which died for us and rose again. God has a claim on our lives. God, that's chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, 2 Corinthians. Now the first time I ever heard this verse in a way that was unique, there was a man that I met years ago. He'd been confined to a wheelchair almost all his life. His name was Marchant King. And Marchant King had studied Greek at Princeton back in the day, you know, when Princeton was still a little bit of what it was intended to be originally, so to speak. 
And he was a masterful Greek scholar. And he, they had a, the, in the place where he was, down at the Park of the Palms in Florida, they had a microphone set up, and he wheeled up in his wheelchair. And he, he began to speak about this verse. And he said, that word constrain. He says, back in the day when you had the rowing vessels, you know, they, they rowed. And he said, they had, a, they had a captain who would beat out the time. You know, because you couldn't have one rowing this way and one the other. So you had to keep everybody in rhythm. And he said, that's, that's the, 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 the word that's used there. That's the, how that word is represented from the Greek language. And he said it this way. He said, we are kept in the rhythm of the heartbeat of God. Kept in the rhythm of the heartbeat of God. I like that. You see, The love of Christ grips us. It constrains us. It moves us. It motivates us. When we come to that conclusion that Paul did, that we were as good as dead, and we would be dead, except for the fact that Christ died for us. We're no longer to live under ourselves. God has a claim on my, on my life. He gave Himself for me, Paul says it in Galatians in chapter 2. Wouldn't be a bad idea to begin my day, would it? To get up and say, Lord, let me today recognize that You have a claim on my life. Secondly, I must relinquish my rights. Not I. But Christ, I'll tell you, <laughs> there's where the rub comes in, isn't it? Yeah, It's all about me, isn't it? It's all about what I want. All about my rights. No. Lord, help me to live this day in such a way, not only do I recognize Your claim on my life, but help me to learn what it means in my daily experience to relinquish my rights. <coughs> you say that's hard. No, it's impossible. <laughs> but that's where the next one comes in. We haven't been left to struggle along on our own to do it, you see. We rely on His power. Because it's Christ that liveth in me. God hadn't left us just to struggle on our own. You see, that was the problem with the law in part, wasn't it? God demanded certain things of you, but He gave you no ability to do it. If God said you had to bring a, a, a cow for a sacrifice, He didn't plop one down out of heaven. The law demanded, and it had its penalty if you broke it. But there was no provision in the law to be able to fulfill what its demands required. And here's the contrast in the Christian life, you see. Yes, I have to relinquish my rights, but I don't have to do it under my own steam. Lord, help me to live this day in such a way that I rely on Your power. It's part of the reason why God allows circumstances to come into our life as a Christian that stretch us, that, that pull us, that you know, create situations to where we have to realize our dependence. Not our self-sufficiency, but our dependence. That's tough, isn't it? You know, if you work or if you have a business or any of those things, you know, you, you're out there to make it. You're out there to give your all to it and to do your best to the glory of God to see that business succeed and to do right by your employees and all the other things. If you're in school, you want to excel and you want to make good grades. You want to do that to the glory of God. If you're in the home and you're with children and all those things, you want to do it right and excel and exceed. But oh, to realize 
how important is dependence. Oh, it won't take a lot. God will allow certain things to come into your life that are beyond you and above you and that you're not going to be able to handle. He'll bring you to your knees. and You'll have to learn what it means to depend on Him. That's the way God has structured our Christian life and experience. So those three concepts come into play. Not I, but Christ. The problem, we all have eye trouble. <laughs> and it's not eye trouble that will get you these one day, like the opticians or optometrists tell you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We'll get you, you know. But it's not this kind of eye trouble. It's the big eye. You come by it naturally. Now, I ask this question. I do it sometimes at camps with young people. do it with other people, too. It's, it's not really a trick question. You just have to think before you answer. That's all, you know. So if I just throw out a question, what was the first sin that entered the universe? Adam and Eve. Wrong. I said the first sin entered the universe. You see, it had to do with Satan, didn't it? You remember what it was? It's found in Isaiah 14. What was the essence of what he did? Let's look at it, Isaiah 14 very quickly um, because I want you to see something there. Isaiah 14, Lucifer. Now, I believe that when you study the Scripture, you find that Lucifer was called the son of the morning, the bright, the morning star, if you will. That he was the anointed cherub that covered. So you take the throne of God, surrounded by the four cherubim. Lucifer was the fifth. He was over them, over them all, the highest of all the created beings. But it wasn't enough. And so he said, in his heart, in verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The first sin that ever entered into the universe was pride. I will. And that is the core problem with all of humanity. Pride. You know what will block you from God's salvation? Pride. You saying, I don't need God. I can do it my way. I'll come if and when I want, whenever I want, how I want. Pride. That's why God has to humble you. Bring you to the place where you realize your need as a sinner in the sight of a holy and a righteous God, to be able to avail yourself of the salvation that's in Christ. Pride will block you from every blessing of God. Even in the Christian life, it will block you, won't it? And the worst song that could ever be sung of you is to do that Sinatra thing, I did it my way. <laughs> it's great for, you know, eating in an Italian restaurant and listening to maybe. You see, the essence of what that song says is really what humanity says often, isn't it? I did it my way. I don't need God. No. Pride. You know what's amazing about this? I don't know if you noticed this. There are five I wills in Isaiah 14. You know what the answer to those I wills of pride are? It's the five eyes of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live 
in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, That'll preach as we say down our way. (laughs) That'll preach. There's the answer, isn't it? Tell you another answer. It was found in the garden, wasn't it? When the Son of God looked into that cup that he was about to partake of, and I'll tell you this, if he'd have said anything other than, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, you would wonder if he was indeed the Son of God. When he saw that he was about to be made a sin offering, that cup which he called it that he was about to drink, and yet immediately, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And isn't there a sense of irony almost in the whole plan and scheme of God? You know what's going to happen, the Bible tells us one day on this planet? There's going to be a, 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 a man on this earth. By the way, if you YouTube this, this is almost unbelievable. Somebody sends me a little clip from YouTube the other day of a CNN interview. I don't know if you saw this. Of all places, there's a guy down in Miami. He, he tells you straight up front, I am the Antichrist. He says, that doesn't mean what you think it means. I am instead of Christ. So Christ talked about another coming. That's me. I, I am him. And his followers are going out and having 666 tattooed on their feet, on their heads, on their hands, wherever else they do. I mean, this is real stuff. This is real time. It's happening now. It's, you know, scary, isn't it? You think, well, it's not only a possibility. These people are doing it. Wow. But there's going to be a man who stands on this planet one day, and he's going to exalt himself and claim to be God and demand the worship of those who are on this planet. How did the Son of God win our hearts? Not by coming on earth and demanding His claims. He thought it not robber to be equal with God. But He humbled Himself. And because He humbled Himself and went all the way to the cross, it's that that wins our hearts, isn't it? What He did there. That low place that He took. That's how He wins our hearts. It doesn't force us to worship Him. We willingly and voluntarily worship Him. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, think about that verse in Galatians for a minute. One of the things I found helpful in my own reading of Scripture from time to time, certain portions, it works really well in the Psalms. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shared it here or not, but you can do a little alteration as you read verses where you put the emphasis, and it just brings out a little different flavor of the verses. It works often well in the Psalms. I like to do it here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It was the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It was the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. And then the one that really gets me. It was the Son of God who loved me. Forget about you for a minute. It was the Son of God who loved me. You know, I tell in my testimony sometimes about those people that came to visit me in that little jail cell. Those two old people, their son had said to them, I didn't know them at all. I called the house. He wasn't home. 
He found out that I called. He told his parents, don't have anything to do with that guy. He's a loser. He's a drug addict. He's a criminal. He's a manipulator. He's a liar. All those things. Next thing I know, here comes these two people down to visit me in the jail. In spite of what their son said. And they looked through that little window about the size of the window on that door there with a little thing you had to talk through. And, and I don't remember everything he said, but that man looked through that window and he says, I want to tell you we're here because Jesus loves you. And we love you too. And I thought to myself, you love me? You don't even know me. And if you did know me, you certainly wouldn't love me. And Jesus loves me. Here in all of my filth and my crime and my dope and all the rest. I tell you, what a powerful message that was. Jesus loves you. We love you too. The Son of God loved me. And He gave. He gave Himself for me. Anywhere you put the emphasis. You see on that verse, it's powerful, isn't it? There's the key to the Christian life. That's not law keeping, is it? That's not legal requirements and penalties and, and all the rest. No, here's the heart of the Christian life. This is what moved Paul. You know, I said I asked a question when we come to the book of Galatians, the first question. What was it that stirred Paul? And what stirred him was any perversion or dilution or attack on the gospel. What was it that moved Paul and motivated him to give his life the way he did to the Lord Jesus? It was this very basic truth. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. May we never... Get over it. Not a bad idea to begin our day, is it? By remembering, Lord, help me to remember today, the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. Father, we thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The wonder of wonders that He loved me. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest. That Jesus loved me. Amazing to think about. And He proved that love. He gave Himself for us. He died for sinners. God demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, not when we were good people, not when we were lovable even, God demonstrated His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank You. May we thank You and express it in our lives as well as with our lips. We give You thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.